You're listening to the Gold Standard Podcast. I'm your host, three-time Olympian and motivational speaker, Leah Amico. On this show, we're going to dig deep to unlock what it actually takes to build a foundation for greatness. If you're an ambitious person with big vision, but you feel like fear is holding you back, get ready for some major breakthroughs. Let's dive in. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Gold Standard Podcast. Today's guest is another softball player, a fellow softball player who has traveled this world and played at the elite level. She was a shortstop for UCLA. She's a two-time All-American, and she also is an Olympic silver medalist from the 2020 Tokyo Games. Welcome to the podcast, Delaney Spalding. Thanks, Leah. I'm happy to be here. All right, Delaney, I know that you are here from Southern California, not too far away from I, where I grew up. Um, tell me a little bit, because we're going to get into your Olympic story, but let's start out with a young Delaney. Tell me about like, I know your family paid a big part of you playing softball. Tell me about when, when you were young. Uh, yeah, so I have three older sisters, so I'm the baby of four. Um, and two of them actually played, uh, continue to play on through D1. So um, I grew up watching them play. I'm 10 years younger than my oldest and seven years younger than my second sister. So I was at the ball field before I even started playing myself and I fell in love with it um, completely. But I started out um, just like so many athletes, I think, uh, in my local, tra- uh, sorry, not travel ball, local rec ball league, Rancho Cucamonga Ace, and um, played there for a couple of seasons. My dad coached me. It was so much fun just falling in love with the game like I said I'd been around it forever but I'd never been in a team atmosphere so that was like my really first team um, that I got to play on and um, from then on I went into the travel ball world and um, at around age of like 12 or 13 I think and that's like when everything kind of took off for me and I realized how serious I was about this game and where I wanted it to lead me. And like I said, I knew where this, the game took my sisters and I had that to look forward to. So at a young age, I think I definitely knew that I wanted to play in college. And I don't know if that's necessarily normal um, for every little kid, but I saw it firsthand. And so I wanted to do the same thing as my sisters. Did you have um, the desire to play at a certain college, like you ended up playing at UCLA. Was that where you always wanted to play? No. And I think that's a pretty um, common question of like, what is your dream school? And I will say that I didn't, I never had a dream school. Uh, I just knew that I wanted to compete for a national championship. Um, if anything, I went to Oklahoma a ton because like I said, my sister, um, played there, or I didn't say that, but my sister played at the University of Oklahoma and I was there all the time because I was so young. My mom just took me with her. So if anything, I I think like Oklahoma might've been in the back of my mind, but other than that, like I had no dream school. I was just wanting to win a national championship. So what put that desire to win inside of you? Would you say, was it external rewards for winning? Was it internal? What, what do you feel like motivated you? Uh, definitely, um, I would say internal, um, but also external. I was very, um, you know, I guess rewarded because I played on the OC Batbusters my all throughout college or sorry, uh, high school, and we competed for national championships in travel ball. So I think it was just always, I was always around 
a good athletes and a good team. And that just pushed me even more to like wanting something bigger. And that was college at the time, college athletics was, it was like the pinnacle of softball. So, um, I was always had that drive to wanting to be the best. Um, I surrounded myself with the best athletes, you know, being on the OC Batbusters, as you know, like was the best team, um, in the country, not just California, in my opinion. So, um, I would definitely say it was like an internal drive of wanting to be the best shortstop, to be on the best team, to push myself. But also I just felt like I surrounded myself with championship teams all the time. And I wanted that at the next level. And was it something that these teams saw you and invited you to come play for them originally? Is it something your parents were seeking out or did you have connections because of your older sisters? With the Batbusters? Yes. Um, I tried out for them. So I, um, from rec ball, I, that rec ball team, we kind of went into travel ball. So I was on a different travel ball team in the very beginning. And then once my talent kind of developed, um, I then went into the Batbuster organization. I had taken, um, uh, batting lessons and fielding lessons from Mike Stiff. So I had that connection with the Batbusters as well. And he was the assistant coach with Gary Hanning um, as the head coach. So that was kind of my connection, I would say. So, um, and then from there, it just took off um, with the Batbusters organization at a young age. Well, obviously you, you had, you know, the role models, you had your sisters, you're around the sport. I think that's important to be somebody that watches it. You had that internal drive, which I truly believe there, there can be external motivations, but there has to be that internal piece. I really truly believe that any elite athlete I agree. Um, has to have, yeah, have that desire inside of them. Um, and then, and then, like you said, who you surround yourself with 100%, that is the gold standard surrounding yourself with other people who are driven, who are motivated, who are seeking after the same goal and that high level of achievement, because what happens is they're pushing you and you're pushing them, but obviously you had some talent. Would, do you think it was important that right off the bat, you went out and tried out for one of the top teams in the travel ball organizations? Uh, yes and no. So I actually tried out for the firecrackers before and they didn't want me or whatever the case is. I didn't make the team. And so the Batbusters, we had heard they had another tryout the next day. And it was like, it was the perfect fit for me. I, it was Doug Myers team. Um, and it was just, um, the perfect fit. So I, I wouldn't say necessarily that my eyes were set on, on the Batbusters because they're the top dog. Um, I was just trying to find the perfect situation that would be for me and my family. And it was, um, pretty, it was local ish to us. Um, they were a very competitive team. Um, I was with, you know, going to that team with one of my good friends who later ended up going to UCLA with me as well. So, um, it all just kind of worked out, but, you know, I will say that, like I said, once I, um, realized my talent level and, and my goal setting. Um, that's when I kind of went for like, all right, let's do this. I got to put myself in a position to, um, make it to where I want to be. And that's compete for a national championship in college. 
Yeah, I think that's that's so good and that's so important. And when you mention the right setting for you, especially when it comes to youth sports, I think there's a time where people need to decide what works for our family. Sometimes it's very parent driven of I want this for my kid, maybe before the kid is ready. But yes. I think when you can as a family sit back and say, okay, this is what's best for all of us. Uh, makes the most sense. There's some people that are willing to drive four hours to be a part of a team. There's others that think, no, realistically, we have other children and it needs to be within 30 right. minutes. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, I think that's important. All right. Let's talk a little bit about um, playing at UCLA. So you ended up playing your collegiate career at UCLA. What was the best part of the experience for playing for the Bruins? Um, I think when people think UCLA, we, they obviously think of like the national championships and the traditions and, you know, just going to the World Series all the time and everything. And although that's true, when I went there, there was a huge, um, I guess, like dry spell within UCLA softball where we had not gone back to the World Series. We had not won in a really long time. Um, so when I got there, it was really just about building the culture again and getting back to the World Series. And I had a really good class, two, two classes above me with Ali Carta. Um, she was a big um, leader in that. But just getting back to that first World Series, I think, was crucial in my sophomore year. And then from then on, they've been to the World Series ever since. That was in 2015. So just building that, um, that championship culture at UCLA, I think was so much fun. And um, obviously representing an institution like UCLA with the national championships, that how many national championships that they have, their athletic community, and obviously their academics. It was um, something that I did not realize what I was getting myself into when I committed. And, and that kind of goes back to what you were talking about, about how sometimes your parents know what's best for you, or they do most of the time. And that in this situation, that was that was it. And and when I was getting recruited by UCLA, you know, my parents were they weren't pushing UCLA on me, but they knew that it was a great school. It was close. It was local. They could support me. It was only an hour from my house. And when I committed there, I know they were so happy for me. And I didn't realize until I was at UCLA, but it was the best choice for me because my family is such a big part of my life. And they were at every single one of my games. My parents would come down on the weekends if they could, uh, if I wasn't playing. So I, it was just a blessing in disguise to, to go to college at UCLA. That was only an hour from me. Yeah, I think that's important as well. I know for me, I you know grew up in Southern California as well. One of the schools that I was potentially listening at, looking at only a handful that I was really looking at, uh, one of them was Florida State. And I, I knew inside mm -hmm. that, that wasn't right for me. It was a great school, great program, but I knew it was too far, but there's players right. that I know that will play across the country and it's the perfect fit for them. But I think that's another thing to take into consideration when you're an athlete of realistically what school makes sense and how important is having your family there. Because for some people like that, that is the difference maker. Or I know some athletes yeah. say, you know what? I'm not ready to go off one, one girl that I know she was an only child. So she went to a local junior college and then now she's finishing out her career at a school in the Midwest, but she just wasn't ready and her parents weren't really ready, but now she was <laughs> able to finish. So uh, that's a great point. Let's talk a little bit when you mentioned rebuilding that culture, getting it back, getting them back to the women's college world series. What would you say is most important in a championship culture? Ooh, <laughs> that's a good question. Um, I think it's trust. 
And that, that can go into so many different realms, um, you know, in sports, trust off the field, trust on the field, um, trust in your role on a team. Uh, and, and that was what we pretty much had to develop, I think, um, early on in my career. And just being able to go through the hard stuff that was off the field, whether it was we did like military training um, and that was, I think that's pretty common in college nowadays, but that was something that really built our trust and our um, camaraderie and just our competitiveness to then translate onto the field. And when I say like trusting in your role and owning your role, it's um, there was, you know, however many girls on our team and every single girl had a specific role that, that they had to accomplish and trusting in that they're going to get their job done because I know I'm going to get my job done and that's going to be the betterment of the team. So there's just a lot of like trust. I think that goes into building a championship team and, you know, taking it to that world series. Um, it, it's not just one girl or one pitcher that's going to get the job done. Um, and that's the beauty of our game is that there's nine girls on the team plus extras on the bench that are going to need to contribute to win a national championship. Um, and I think that's, you know, the making of a, of a national championship team. Good. I like that. I think trust is so crucial. I think trust also every, every role you talked about also, when you're saying I'm going to trust the role that I'm given, you trust the coaches in that, right? That's part of it. And yeah. so when you mentioned that you're saying that I buy into leadership and, you know, believing that maybe I'm not a starter, maybe I am a role player, but I trust that if I keep putting the work in, there will be a role and a part I get to play. And maybe coach is going to call on me in a really crucial point. I mean, we had that on the Olympic team as well, where we had a pinch runner come in and she scores the winning run to win the gold medal. And she, you know, didn't get to start every game, but she scored the winning run to win the gold medal. So you remember yep. that, right? Yes. Yeah. And so, yeah, such, such great points with that. Okay. Let's transition into uh, making Team USA. Tell me a little bit about kind of when you first made Team USA. Like, when did even that dream begin for you to try to represent the USA on the field? Uh, so, the very I'll never forget the very first time I got an invitation. Um, it was in 2015, actually, and we had we weren't we were not in the Olympic Games at that time either. Um, so, in 2015, I had gotten an email from. Um, USA softball and it said congratulations you are being invited to the national team trials and I had no idea what it was because it was my first time getting that email I thought it was spam I called my parents and I told them but I wasn't really sure what it was and then I I drove up to Easton Field at UCLA and I saw coach I and I showed her the email and she just kind of like threw my phone down and gave me a big hug and um, that was kind of like when I knew like, okay, this is real. <laughs> um, and then I tried out in January of 2016 and I had been on team USA ever since, um, after the Olympics. And, um, it was just, I mean, you know, it's the time of your life. That is what you dream about to represent your country and to be able to do it on the Olympic stage, which softball has been waiting for a very long time was a true honor. Um, and it was uh, pretty much it was the highlight of my career and will be forever. From your experiences, because you played for one of the top teams in the country for softball at UCLA, and then you represented team USA in your opinion, through your experiences, what would you say is 
the special sauce, the, 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 the secret ingredient, what, what would you say separates those that are on team USA from really, really, really good collegiate athletes? Ooh, that's a, (laughs) that's a good question. I don't know if I've ever been asked this question. Um, well, international softball is different and, um, you, you know that. And I, I will say what kind of separates the athlete or just really the game, I should say, I think is the mental side of it. Um, and understanding, um, every single, like understanding the different countries and how they play softball. And I did not know that, uh, my first year playing international softball and, I struggled a little bit, but I think once I understood the mental part of it and um, just, you know, looking back at film or looking ahead of um, to my, my, whoever the next opponent is for film, I think is what kind of separates um, these athletes and then the, the country because international game and college game is different in a sense that you could be playing grown women, like I, I, Stacey Porter, I was, I was 19 years old and she's 33 playing for Australia. Like just, you're playing, you're playing grown women that have, have are seasoned in this game that are just very wise and, um, being able to compete against them. You have to have that level up of maturity than you do when you're in college facing 18 to 21 year olds. So I, that's what I would say. There's a separation there. Um, it's not just, I think like the college game is definitely high level softball where, you know, they hit gap to gap. Whereas in international softball, when you play Japan, when you play Canada, there's a lot of ball on the ground, like down angle, hitting it in gaps, being scrappy. And that's a different type of softball. Um, So that's what I would say is like, you just, the mentally, you need to be very mature and, you know, level up. And then secondly, like you just, you need to understand every single country and their style of play because it is so different. Yeah, I would, I would totally agree with you. And I, and that's something I, I felt, I told people like, you know, I think Australia were more similar. A lot of the Australians yes. played in America. So it was a little more similar, but I said, once you get to the Asian countries, it is a different style and a different. So you, you again are trying to meet theirs, staying within your strength. And I agree with you. I think it comes down to mentality. I think the people that continue to rise, there's a point that talent can get you to and hard work can get you to, but then there's something about being athletes that not only know how to win and have that inner drive, the ones that are willing to do whatever it takes. And especially when nobody's looking, because when you get to that next level, it's all about what you do when nobody is looking and Mm -hmm. then being able to um, adjust quicker. And that is what you talk about, like that mentality and the, the importance of, okay, you really have to learn how to deal with failure quickly and turn mm-hmm. it around and find ways to, to respond when you get punched. So yes, I, I agree with you. Okay. Now part of athletics is that mindset. If everything was easy, we wouldn't need to be so tough mentally. Right. But when <laughs> right. you're challenged, right. And, and we know as athletes, as hitters, especially, especially in the sport of baseball and softball, like you, you just mentally have to be able to deal with failure and have good failure recovery. But I know that you went through something very tough right Mm -hmm. before the Olympic games, essentially, can you take me through the situation that you dealt with and and the trial you had to overcome? Yeah. So, um, I had already made the Olympic team, um, for 2020 and 
as you know, we, they do this massive Olympic tour and it's, um, really special. We literally have every single day planned all the way through the gold medal game. And, um, we were at the start of that in February and end of January, beginning of February. And we were in Florida and we were playing our very first stand beside tour game at South Florida. And, um, the last at bat, I want to say it was the sixth inning, my last at bat, um, I hit a ground ball to second base. I was running through the bag. It was an overthrow. So I was um, turning to get to second base and I just fell on my stomach. I just, I don't know where I just fell. Um, and I knew right away that something wasn't right. And I got two MRIs, one at South Florida. And then a couple of days later, one at the University of Utah, and it was confirmed that I had torn my ACL and my medial meniscus, which is on the inside part of my knee. And I, it was no less eight to nine months recovery. And this was in February and the Olympic games were supposed to be in July. And um, at the time, you know, COVID was not a thing and the Olympics were going to play in July. So it was definitely a gut punch. Um, I, you know, for the lack of better words, I feel like I lost myself. Like I identified in softball and it was taken away from me in the most important year of my life in 2020. Um, I was in a, and I was in a funk and I was in a pit for, you know, almost a week and having to, um, tell my teammates the MRI results, um, having to really sit with those results was really, really hard. I had trained, um, I, I finished school in 2017. So since, you know, 2017, I was training for the Olympics and on the very first game to have that happen to me. Um, I, I remember like repeatedly telling myself like, this cannot be happening. Like, this is not happening to me. Like, it seems like a movie script. And that's what I, like, I felt like I was living like in a movie script of like, you're leading up to something and then it just gets taken out from you. Um, and you just, something that you, you see happen in sports, but you wish it never happened to you. And it had happened to me February 4th, 2020. I'll never forget it. Wow. And so then how, how did you turn from that? Like, I know obviously COVID hit right after that. And obviously yeah. there was this new potential opportunity for you once the Olympics were extended a year and pushed out and postponed. But even that, did you come to grips before that with potentially how you would deal with it? Or, or was that where you breathed a little bit? Uh, no, I was, I opted out of surgery and I was just, I got like one of those thick, huge braces and I was just going to brace up and I was going to play. I, I was very fortunate enough. I didn't have any pain. Um, and I was just going, I was going to go for it. And, um, I, my teammates all believed in me. I had my physical therapist and my doctors, they all told me I could do it. They actually gave, told me that there are several Olympic athletes, football players, skiers, even soccer players that play without ACLs. Um, and I was just, I had so much reassurance that I could do it. And I was very, very like head down driven that I was going to do it, um, in July, if I had to. 
Wow. Okay. That's huge because I know so many people and I was just reading a book last night and this guy, he was, he was born without a hand and he played baseball and played in college and wanted to go pro, but so many people told him he couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. He couldn't do it, but he was going to fight them and use that. And some people use that as motivation, but what you're saying right there, I love that, that reminder that we sometimes are those people that can speak life into somebody and tell them the dream is still, the dream is still alive. Maybe it's not going to look like you thought it was, maybe it's going to be harder than you thought it was, Yeah. but you can still do it. So I love that Delaney about that. So tell me though, once softball, what would the Olympics was postponed, then you decided to have surgery because you had time now. Yeah. Immediately once COVID hit and hit around in March, and um, they announced that the Olympic games were postponed. I got on a phone call with my head coach and I said, what should I do? And he said, get surgery. So I immediately um, contacted USA. I um, got on the list to have surgery and I um, ended up having surgery May, uh, May 5th, 2020. So a couple months later, because elective surgeries were not being performed, Um, and I went to the university of Utah and, um, got my ACL dead on May 5th. And then the, after that, it was just rehab and get stronger. And I had the time now because we were postponed an entire year. So we weren't playing until July of 2021. So, um, I had a lot of time to be able to build back to 100%, which I was very, very fortunate for. So how important is it for people? And again, it might be something totally different, but it's a trial. It's a struggle. It's something they didn't expect and they have to start back or maybe even lower than ground zero, maybe behind in the negatives. Right. And they have to work their way back. How important is it just to focus at on things one step at a time, one day at a time, and then mentally stay in that positive mindset until you can make it back to where you're going. Yeah. Especially an injury. I think that is definitely the MO of going through the process is one day at a time, because it can be a very slow burning process. And if you just take the little wins day by day, I think that is going to contribute to your big win at the end, which was for me playing in the Olympics. And it, it with an ACL, it can seem so dreading. It can be because it's just so painful and it's a very slow process, honestly, um, to get back to that. But I think what really, really, really helped me was the community that I had around me. And I, I had contacted a couple of girls that had gone through ACL construction rehab. And then I also just had my, um, my, my good friends on the national team. And then, um, some other friends as well that really I talked to every single day because it was COVID and I was training by myself. I was rehabbing by myself. I was very thankful that they were still open during that time, but it, it was, it was hard mentally more so mentally than it was physically and it hurt physically. So <laughs> it was just, it yeah. was, it was hard. Yeah. I, I think that's so great. And honestly, this is why I love sports sports. Yeah teach us so many life lessons and they put us through trials and tests. And sometimes it's batting average or it's making errors or it's striking out or whatever that is not getting picked for the team, not being a starter, but then sometimes it's injuries and it's being cut from a team or it's something a little bit bigger that takes a little bit harder. It might, it might cut our souls a little bit more for somebody that gets out of sports and you're we're older, right? It could be losing a job, losing a loved one, things that there's grief and loss and devastation inside, but we need to bounce back. And that's where I think sports 
helps us because we learn those tools to say, okay, mm -hmm. today I might be down, but tomorrow's a new day. And now I can start fighting, but it's that choice. And you obviously have it inside of you. And, and tell me just quickly, cause I, I really believe it's when you have your eyes on the prize and you know that that prize is worth it, that yeah. the, all the hard work you're willing to go through anything in order to get to that prize. Is that true? Absol oh, absolutely. And I, I had a, I had a lot of time, but I also didn't have a lot of time. Cause like I said, it was eight to nine months minimum and the Olympics were in probably in 12 months. So I had three months to get back into Olympic shape and to remake that team basically. So I had that, that end goal of making that Olympic roster again and to making that team again and proving that I can be the shortstop. So like I said, day by day and those little wins that can contribute to that big win at the end is crucial in any type of, of um, I guess, injury or anything like that, uh, that you are talking about. Yeah. I love that. That's awesome. Keeping that goal. And, and like you said, now you went from three years of training, but then all of a sudden something out of your control happens to you. Yeah. And now it's like, that's okay. Because in three months, I'm going to regain what I did in three years. And so, so yeah. that it's mindset, 100% mindset. Okay. So talk to me about the Olympics. What was the best part about being in the Olympics and the Tokyo games? Honestly, um, outside of softball, I will say is this the team USA community. It was awesome. Like going into the village and there's so many team USA athletes that we have an entire, we had an entire building and you just walk around and you just see so many different team USA athletes that are, that, you know, are just great at what they do and supporting you. I'll, I'll never forget the moment when we were going to our gold medal game. And we're walking through the village to go to our bus and we're carrying our outfit and on our, on our backs, like, cause we had to take it for the game. And, um, there was a bunch of track girls, uh, that were out in the quad area and they saw us walking to the game and they just asked us where we were going and what game it was. And we told them it was the gold medal game and they just freaked out and they were so excited for us. And that is like, that is something that was. And that was like every single game pretty much and all week, but that's just something that you can't get that anywhere else. And you crave that as an athlete. It's sim very similar as college. You know, when you guys are all competing for an institution, well, we're competing for our country and just that pride that everybody had there. That was a team USA athlete and probably every other country as well. But I mean, it was incredible um, just to be around such amazing athletes and there, it really didn't feel like, you know, because an athlete was maybe in the media more than us or, or whoever else, like, no, it, we never felt that everybody was on the same level there and just competing to win a gold medal because that's what team USA did. Well, I know your, your family just was everything for you throughout your collegiate career and would have been there every step oh, yeah. of the way, every second they could be. But I, but then I see on the news, they're, they're showing your family <laughs> and having this massive watch party and cheering. So did you just, did you talk to them after every game? I mean, I know, did you feel that support, even though they couldn't be with you at the games because of the COVID rules and policies? Oh yeah. I, I was, they were, I was in a group chat, obviously with, with my family and they're texting during the game. So I'm getting every single text after, after the game and just being uh seeing their support and just 
feeling so supportive through them. And that was so funny that because they were not planning to have a viewing party, but um, all my family, I have a pretty big family and they were all coming. And then some of my neighbors were coming as well. And then Jess had Jess Mendoza had texted us like, Hey, is anybody throwing a viewing party for the game today? And I was like, well, I mean, my big family is going to be at my house. And they're like, okay, well, NBC is going to get in contact. And I was like, oh, NBC. I was like, okay. So then it just happened. Like NBC came to my house for two games because the first game, you know, was so much fun. And um, then it just got a little bigger at my house. And so it created like this whole atmosphere and it was, it was awesome. It was really cool. I love that. Definitely the celebration. And I'm a mom. Yeah. So I, and I, just, I know how I cheer for my son. Yeah. One's playing football or the other's running track. I just can only imagine with the Olympics as a mom, I experienced it as an athlete, but as a mom, there's just, and, and parents, it's just something just extra, extra proud for your child. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I just thought, what about standing on that podium? How I know you guys won the silver medal and obviously <laughs> USA softball, there's tons and tons of pressure, but yeah. When it comes down to it, how many athletes can one even compete in, Olymp in an Olympic games and number mm -hmm. two, even win a medal. So how was that experience? Um, it was, it was a whirlwind to be honest. I mean, it was like immediately 20 minutes or so after we had lost and there was a lot of emotions. Um, but I, I, I'm so grateful that I had the pictures and that I was able to have the videos and go out onto the field, even after we got our medal and just soak it all in because I'm being very honest when I was not happy and I, you know, wanted no pictures with my silver medal or anything, but, um, you know, with my teammates and everybody had said, just, you need to soak up this time because like you said, not everybody has the chance to be an Olympian and win a medal. And with softball in and out of the Olympics, maybe even softball players. So, but being on that podium, there was just a sense of like gratitude and pride. I think just a lot of pride of being able to represent my country. Um, I, a really special moment when uh, they do the medals, obviously one by one. And I was watching Aubrey Monroe put on her medal and, she kind of like did a signal for him um, when she, after she had received her medal. And I saw that and I was the very last one and um, that I, I didn't want to necessarily make anything, you know, uh, like preconceived or, you know, that I thought about and, but the camera was on me for a really long time. And I just, I just looked at the camera and I just said for him. And it was just a really special moment because it just brought everything back of like, the pressure, yes, to win a gold medal, but I am here on the Olympic stage with a silver medal wrapped around my neck. Like I have to give the glory to God in this moment because it, it was just an incredible moment for my personal journey and then my team's journey to get there. We had a lot of scrutiny on our back. We had a lot of pressure on us. Um, and so to be able to be standing on that podium was, um, there's just a lot of pride in that. Yeah, I agree. And I was cheering you guys on that entire way. And, mm -hmm. you know, we know that the 2018, same idea, they got into that last game, had a battle with Japan and ended up just falling short. And, but ultimately again, like we are all so proud, you know, I know I was so proud of every one of you and we're just supporting you all the entire way. And just as we, we get ready to wrap up, I, I do want you to just share a little bit about how your faith played a role 
going through your injury, playing on mm-hmm. Team USA, like you just mentioned, like you wanted to give glory to God, like how, how you tied that all together as an elite athlete? Yeah, well, I really found my faith after my injury or during my injury, you can say, because I had mentioned it before, softball was my identity and I didn't know what to do after it got ripped out from underneath me, like in the most important year of my life. So I really just kind of fell on my knees, not, you know, to be exact. And I just pleaded out to God and cried out to him. Like, this is completely in your control. I don't know how I can get through this without your help. And that was just being very honest and vulnerable to him. And it was incredible, Leah, how he just completely changed my life and helped me during the hardest time of my life because I was at such peace and ease during this whole process. And I don't think I could have ever done that without God's grace because I mean, I was telling my teammates, Um, the situation that I was going through, they were crying and I was consoling them. And I just, I just think that is completely like the peace that he had given me to be able to console my teammates for my injury. Like it, it was just moments like that, where I'm just like, God is so real and he is with me and within me that there's no way that I cannot get through this. And, um, going through rehab, just having like different moments and different um, points in my rehab where he just completely gave me strength and, um, you know, going through the fast forwarding through the Olympics and just being able to have like, um, you know, there's a, there was a really good group of us that had really strong faith and leaned on our faith a lot. And I was very thankful for being included in that community, but, um, there's a book in, or there's a story in Daniel three about, you know, getting thrown into a fiery furnace to, so that you don't bow down to a gold medal or a gold statue, a false God. And, you know, playing in softball, that false God can be a gold medal at the Olympic games or a game winning run or just softball in general. Um, and so that was kind of our standard going through the Olympics is, is, making it bigger than just that gold medal and just having our eyes fixated on Jesus um, to really get us through the Olympic games because it is very hard and the journey. And so we had Daniel three and even if was kind of like our motto, even if we don't win a gold medal, we're still going to praise Jesus and praise God. And um, that's what carried us through to the end. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. And, you know, everybody has their own journeys, but, you know, when you're being real and you're being vulnerable, I think like you mentioned um, that identity is a massive piece. A lot of athletes find their identity in and their value in how they perform and what others think of them on, you know, on a field or on a court. And it's hard. It's great when things are going well, but it's terrible when you get injured or you're not playing or things just aren't going well. So, you know, but to know that you have value and worth in who God says you are, regardless of the outcome, like that's, that's powerful. Cause that sticks with you. And like, you talked about that piece, how can, how can people connect with you and find you on, on social media? Do you have a website or you have, you know, social media? Yeah. Um, I'm on all things, social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. It's just my first name, Delaney and my middle name, Lynn. Um, and yeah, I'm pretty much everywhere. I'm tied in with U-Triple-S-A, um, pride. And I'm also tied in still with USA softball. So 
I go to those events often. And then I'm also in a Marietta, California and giving private lessons and doing things with uh, Marietta and Rancho rec ball leagues and, you know, different leagues around the areas. Well, I know those athletes are very fortunate and blessed <laughs> to work with you. So thank you again for coming on today and sharing your story with us. Thanks, Leah. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to the gold standard podcast and definitely check out Delaney, Delaney Lynn. She's on social media, find out what she's doing. Cause I know that you will want to watch um, and continue, you know, to follow her journey as she plays for the triple SA pride in the pro league for softball, but we'll see you here next time on the gold standard podcast. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Gold Standard Podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please share it with a friend. You can post on social media and tag at Leah20USA or use hashtag Gold Standard Podcast. Make sure you also subscribe so you get notified each week as a new episode releases. You can subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. We appreciate your reviews as they help encourage others to listen in. Until next time, live out the gold standard and keep turning your goals into reality.